Thanks very much, Andrew. And uh, thank you um, to uh, you all and to the principal for the invitation to be here. It is um, a great delight. Um, had I known what the set readings were, I would have been more than happy to preach on one of them. Uh, but um, anyway, here we are in the Book of Acts, which is a splendid place to be. Uh, there we go. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindnesses towards us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of this day and the opportunity it brings us to grow in knowledge and love and service of you and of your Son. And we pray, Father, now that in your mercy you would bring your word to our hearts in the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, that we might see him, love him, and serve him gladly until he comes. Amen. Uh, well, of course, you're familiar with the uh, uh, recently reported census statistics that uh, for the first time in Australia's uh, history, there are now f less than 50% of people who identify uh, with a Christian religion, 44%, I think, nationally, 49% uh, in Sydney. Um, uh, uh, this doesn't mean, of course, that Australians have uh, completely lost interest in Christianity. 30% say they'd attend a church service if they were invited by a Christian family member or friend. But surprisingly, 56% um, of people say they don't know a Christian friend or family member. So are we to think, as the newspapers uh, like to uh, imply, that God has finished with Australia? that we have passed peak Christianity uh, so that by the time of our children's grandchildren, uh, the faith will have largely have disappeared from our shores. Uh, well, naturally, you might think. Uh, I don't think so, and I hope you agree with me. Um, so this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time uh, in the book of Acts, thinking with you about the progress of the gospel. Uh, what does it look like? How does the gospel make progress? In chapters 13 and 14, uh, the church in Antioch, a multi-ethnic church, um, commissioned Paul and Barnabas in the Holy Spirit uh, to go on a missionary journey, uh, which is worth noting just in passing, isn't it, that they had Paul and Barnabas with them and they sent them away on a missionary journey. I mean, it must have killed them to do that. Uh, but anyway, there they go. And... Uh, uh, the, that, that is recorded in uh, chapters 13 and 14. As you know, it's a kind of uh, loop from uh, Antioch in Syria to Cyprus and then north into Turkey and then to those places that we've never heard of, um, Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, and then they, then they go down to, confusingly, another place called Antioch, uh, um, and, uh, and then, they make that, then they return again and, and, uh, and come back to Antioch in Syria. And at the end of the chapter... Uh, we read, I'm afraid I'm using the NIV, but I'll see if I can bring the ESV to mind from sheer brilliance. Uh, but uh, not on this occasion. Uh, when they arrived and gathered at the church, uh, they declared all that God had done and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. I think that is the, is that the ESV. <laughs> no, there we go. Uh, Two chapters of Acts, takes about six minutes to read, occupies about three years uh, from 45 to 47 AD. Now, how had God opened a door of faith? How had God opened a door of faith? What were the marks of the progress of the gospel? How was it that the gospel went out, people believed it, and were established 
in faith in Christ. How did it happen then and uh, what might we expect about the progress of the gospel today? Here are four things, proclamation, opposition, superstition and consolidation, which means you can alliterate at the end of a word as well as the beginning. <laughs> a little archiepiscopal tip. <laughs> First, proclamation. Chapter 13, uh, Luke records for us, as you know, Paul's speech in Pisidian Antioch, a sample of the gospel message they proclaimed. It's a message about the son of David, Israel's saviour Jesus, crucified by Pontius Pilate, but whom God raised from the dead. And the message is summarised in chapter 13 at verse 38. I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Forgiveness and verse 39, Paul says, through him, everyone who believes is set free from everything from which the law of Moses could not free you. Freedom, freedom and forgiveness for everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile, through Israel's saviour Jesus, crucified for sin and raised from the dead. I know this is all completely stock standard, but just every now and then you have to take a step back and behold the beauty of the gospel, freedom and forgiveness. In Jesus Christ, Israel's saviour, crucified for the sins of the world and everyone who believes in him. That has to be good news, doesn't it? Because I take it most of you are not Jewish and I certainly aren't Jewish. And yet here it is, the gospel has progressed all the way to Australia. They'd never even heard of it. And here it is, and it's still good news. What a glorious, what a glorious Lord. Don't fail to behold the glory of the gospel. It's just so good. That was the business of Paul's missionary journey proclamation of forgiveness and freedom through Jesus. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, they spoke and a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Verse 3 says, they spoke boldly for the Lord. And when they had to leave Iconium, they went to Lystra and Derbe, and verse 7 says, they continued to preach the gospel. They spoke and people believed. When the Bible opens, God speaks and everything that is comes into being. And when we preach the gospel, life comes to those who hear with faith. We participate in the new creation work of God as the gospel is preached and people believe. That's got to be good news, doesn't it? Now, uh, of course... Um, Precisely because there are so few people who identify as Christian and the knowledge of Christianity and the knowledge of the Bible has kind of become extremely marginal uh, in our culture and at the same time the objections to Christianity have multiplied at, a, at various levels, science and faith, sexual ethics, uh, religious war, all kinds of reasons why people have objections and all kinds of things that people either don't know or are thoroughly confused about. So we do need to engage with people about their concerns and their questions and their confusions and we need to do that sensitively and prayerfully and wisely and in a, in a way that, uh, in, in a way that um, Paul and Barnabas do as we'll see in a moment. But we must never forget 
either what the Christian message is, what it is that constitutes the gospel, not actually a message about marriage and family life, not a message about the origins of the earth, uh, not even a message about being good, <laughs> as important as all those things are. But Jesus, God's son, God's king, the saviour of the world. And here's the problem. If everybody is talking about all the other stuff and the church fails to speak about its Lord, who will? If people don't want to hear or don't understand and we only engage with all those things, who will ever know what the message is? What message are you bringing to us? It's a message about Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 14 says, At Iconium a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. In Derby, verse 21 says, They preached the gospel and won a large number of disciples. Gospel proclamation is the means by which God saves his people. At the end of chapter 13... Uh, we're told when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for life, uh, for eternal life, believed. God has determined that people will believe when they hear the gospel. And so you, you need no more encouragement to keep on speaking about Jesus than that God has appointed people to believe. And uh, as I said earlier, it's such a joy for me to go around to different churches and ministries and hear <laughs> of the people whom God has appointed to believe receiving the gospel. Humanly, unexpectedly, but in God's providence as he has appointed. That alone is sufficient reason to keep on speaking. The first mark of the mission is proclamation. The second is opposition. Not everyone believes. Some reject the gospel, uh, verse 46 of chapter 13 says. Chapter 14, verse 2, uh, they th refuse to believe. I think uh, the ESV said they thrust it aside. Both translations uh, uh, make clear that they were not helpless. They were deliberate and active. They rejected the gospel. They refused to believe. Not only that, they opposed the mission. Uh, the rhetoric of a pluralist society is that everyone is entitled to their view and their experience and their voice. But the reality is that some not only reject the gospel, they want to prevent other people from hearing the gospel as well. So verse 2 says, those who refuse to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. They're not responding or engaging with the message. They're not offering an alternative. They're targeting Paul and Barnabas and spreading false reports against them. The campaign of opposition, however, doesn't stay a matter of slander and gossip. It moves on to physical violence. Verse 5 says they plot to mistreat and stone them. The opponents followed the apostles to Lystra. And verse 19 says they stirred up the crowd. They stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. God has appointed people to believe and God sends his messengers into the world to proclaim forgiveness and freedom from sin and its penalty. It's good news. But from the beginning, the work has 
been opposed by those who reject the gospel and refuse to believe. Now, that's important to know so that you are not surprised, so that we are not dismayed, and so that we are not deterred. Opposition does not mean that God is not at work. Opposition does not mean that we need to change the message. And opposition uh, uh, cannot stop those whom God has appointed believing. The second mark of mission is opposition. The third is that the gospel is proclaimed in the face of superstition or pre-existing erroneous belief. In Lystra, there's a man paralysed from birth. Paul is preaching to the man. He recognises that he is placing his faith in Jesus and Paul calls out to him, stand up. Uh, And what Luke records in Lystra is that after the healing of the paralysed man, the people rush to the wrong conclusion. They think Paul and Barnabas are their gods, Zeus and Hermes, come down to visit them. So the priest of the temple of Zeus... uh, this is his big day, right? The gods have turned up. Boy, the, uh, the priest of the temple of Zeus must have been just jumping out of his socks. So naturally, he says, bring some sacrifices. The fact that the priest uh, and the people respond in this way is a pretty good indication that they were convinced of the fact of the healing. But they interpreted it incorrectly. The healing by itself didn't tell them who they should worship. They thought they should worship the messengers rather than the one who is being proclaimed. And whenever there is gospel proclamation, there needs to be the correction uh, of the superstitious and mistaken ideas that already exist about God and the spiritual life. Um, In England, the number of people who uh, say they have no religion is more than half. But those people who are now called the nuns, which is somewhat ironic, (laughs) N-O-N-E-S, a great number of them, almost half of them, believe in a divine power or or, uh, life after death. 70% of them believe in a soul. 30% of them say they pray every week. They have lots of religious ideas, and we need to address those. Now, look at the way that the apostles go about doing this. It's actually extremely kind. The first thing they say is, we too are only human like you. That's actually beautiful, isn't it? They don't don't say, you ignorant peasants. I'm a Pharisee. I'm schooled in scriptures. Let me tell you about... No, they say, we're like you. We've come to bring you good news, which implicitly good news that has come to them from others. And uh, we're told that the crowd was shouting in the Lyconian language. So it was cross-cultural communication. (laughs) No wonder they were a little confused. And so, uh, and so the apostles um, uh, go back, as it were, to first tax. There is a living God who made everything. 
and everything that is was made by him. Nothing in the world is God. Worship the God who made everything. The mountains and the rivers are not God. Love and war and sex and business are not God. Real estate and music and food and fitness are not God. Don't make sacrifices to them. Don't serve them. But the God who made everything, he's good. Your crops that produce the food that you take to the feast, it comes from him. He's a good God. You're already experiencing his love. And now we proclaim to you his son in whom you can find forgiveness and freedom. No religious practice or spiritual discipline can secure what Jesus offers or improve the achievement of the cross and the empty tomb. Worship the good and living God. Proclamation, opposition, confronting superstition, and finally, consolidation. We're told that in Iconium, a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. There were believers in Lystra who came to Paul's aid when he was flogged outside the city. In Derby, they won a large number of disciples. But the mission to those cities was not over at the point at which some of the hearers believed. So verse 21 says, they went back to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. In Lystra, Paul had been stoned dragged outside the city and left for dead, verse 19 says, but he went back. In Iconium, their opponents had stirred up the people against them, plotted to mistreat and stone them, so they fled, but now they went back. In Antioch, they'd been driven out by the leading men of the city and women of high standing who had, in, uh, who had been incited against them. The apostles had even shaken the dust off their feet when they left. But now, they were going back. Why? Verse 22, they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith and saying to them, we must go through, through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. They returned to places where they had encouraged strong opposition and even physical attack so they could strengthen the believers they had left behind. That's love, isn't it? They love the Lycanians enough to say, not to exp I mean, they worship them as God. Some people would think this was a, this was a great opportunity. This is a good moment. We're, there, we're just the same as you. Let us tell you about the good God. And now, to those who had believed, whom they had left in uh, cities of opposition and hostility, they go back. They go back to strengthen and encourage them. Part of their strengthening work was to remind them that discipleship would be costly. through many tribulations, 
we must enter the kingdom of God. Not that the tribulations bring us there, but that tribulations lie along the path. That's a good thing to know, isn't it? The rewards will be great. Jesus had won citizenship in the kingdom of God for them, but the road would be hard. So they appointed elders and committed them to the Lord in prayer and fasting. Little congregations of believers in Jesus in a sea of hostility and opposition and superstition. But they had the message that had been preached of freedom and forgiveness. The apostles appointed shepherds amongst them and they entrusted them to the Lord. Of course, they had the Lord. The Lord who had sent the apostles in the first place. The Lord who had appointed them to believe, to hear the message and receive it with thanks and trust the Lord who had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. It might be a hard discipleship. It would be a costly obedience. But they were not at risk. They had committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Four marks of the progress of the gospel gospel progresses by proclamation. Jesus the Saviour who brings forgiveness of sin and freedom from sin's condemnation. It takes place in the context of opposition, but God has appointed some to believe, even while others reject the gospel. We have to challenge our own and others' mistaken beliefs but we have put our faith in a living God, the creator who provides everything we need out of his goodness and above all who has provided his son. And as we proclaim Christ and some believe, we must take time to strengthen and encourage one another because the road of discipleship can be hard, but we need have no fear because... Our trust is in the Lord who is trustworthy. Amen.